podcast that flips the health and wellness industry upside down so you can be your healthiest inside and out. I'm your host, Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist and supplement strategist. Today's episode, Springs Bounce Back. This is a follow-up to episode 30. Who would have thought such a simple, quick podcast about supplement expiration dates and Briefly mentioning allergies could inspire so much conversation, but it's 2023. Everything's wonky. So first, let's talk. Visit wellnessupsidedown.com for all things podcast related. Subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and even over on YouTube. Give this show a five-star review as often as you can each and every episode. It helps us get seen and heard, and I think it's worth it. If you're tuning in for the first time, You know that I'm a fan of supplements when they're done right, but I'm not a fan of the deceptive practices that are used by the health and wellness industries. So if I'm ranting, I'm not beating up on you because you tried something. Uh, I'm raging against that machine of supplement misinformation and hype that got someone like you down that wrong path. And that's going to be very relevant today. So today's show, Springs Bounce Back. Follow-up to episode 30, uh, three things. What do we do with the expired stuff after we've done everything you told us to do last episodes, medicines and supplements? Number two, allergies, wellness practices, and thoughts and prayers. <laughs> and the third thing is why I don't talk about Lyme disease any longer and why we're not going to do a Lyme disease episode. So there's that. We're gonna do. We're going to not talk about it by talking about it. That's what I'm going to do. So basically, we, we post this episode and I just get the vibe that everybody's waking up from hibernation because there were so many in-store conversations, emails sent in, uh, giving feedback, um, social comments were kind of a little bit wacky this time. We got hit from every single angle about last week's episode, and it was literally the last thing I thought it would happen. I thought you guys would just ignore it, but I guess, you know, supplement expiration dates and cleaning your medicine cabinet, it's a little bit too much to ask, I guess. So uh, I'm going to jump in right in with the first segment, which is handling that supplement waste, expired stuff, supplements. Uh, you know, they don't poop. When I say supplement waste, I mean uh, like unused medications that you're going to throw away. Um, so I hope that this uh, kind of rounds out that conversation nice and good for you. So what do we do with all of that expired stuff? We've now gone through our medicine cabinet. We've used Neil's five or six or 10 steps to clear out our medicine cabinet. And we now have a bunch of stuff that I got to chuck. Can I just throw it in the garbage? That was kind of like, you know, six or eight people were like, hey, can I just chuck this stuff? So I wanted to talk about that. Um, It is not recommended to throw away your medicines or your supplements. They don't go in the garbage and you don't pour them down the drain. And certainly you don't put them in your neighbor's garden. Uh, Medication waste is handled by using medication disposal programs. So these are locked bins in random places. I guess not random like people have to sign up and say we want to have them here, uh, but they're random in that like they're not just everywhere. Uh, you drop your medicines and your supplements into these locked bins. Like in my practice in Woodstock, we are a part of the New York and Department of Environmental Conser- Conservation System. It's an effort to reduce the medication supplement pollution in the wastewater. So we've got a big box that's like bolted into the ground and I have to show DEA agents all of my paperwork every time they come in. Um, so we have that take take back box. And, you know, if you're looking for one and you don't know exactly where it is, just Google medicine waste disposal near me and you'll find pharmacies, police stations, municipality buildings, 
you know, somebody's got to have this thing. So, you know, you'll be able to drop your stuff off. And so you might be saying, like, why are you wasting time telling us this? This is a pretty basic thing. Well, I mean, a lot of people asked comparatively. So I wanted to make sure that it was clear. Supplements don't go in the water. They go in the take back boxes. And I do have some interesting information. I always like to give you a little bit something extra more than you would see on a a blog article or something talking about this. Um, A little bit behind the scenes. Uh, Inside those magic lock boxes that are bolted to the floor is a cardboard box. (laughs) It's just a big cardboard box with a thicker than normal garbage bag. Um, they're serialized, which is really interesting because they have to be tracked to make sure that, you know, if the box is assigned, it's coming back and being used and all of that other fun stuff. Um, you know, it's a cardboard box. And, you know, the DEC says, at least in New York, says that uh, the changing over of those boxes have to be witnessed by another person. So I can't just open the box up and take the box out and then, you know, ship it. I have to have somebody stand with me. Uh, We both have keys and technically you're not supposed to have both keys, just one. So that way two people are involved. So that way uh, bad stuff doesn't happen. Um, And what what does that mean? Well, if you, you look in the box, there's a couple things in there that are a little interesting. One There's a lot of controlled substances in there, dude. (laughs) So uh, that's a little tempting to some people, right? And then the other thing that is found there is high-cost medications that are unused and oftentimes not expired. We have a real problem with waste in this country, especially around medications. Whole nother topic, right? But, uh, you know, pharmacists don't get paid for what they do. Uh, The cost of drugs are really high, and the reimbursements from insurance companies are really low. So... I know that there's that, uh, you know, like little devil on some people's shoulders that they've probably listened to at one point, taking medications back from people and redispensing them. Uh, I know, I can say I know, not because I, I would ever do something like that, but plenty of pharmacies have gotten taken out for that. Uh, lots of fo- places in, you know, New York City, for example, uh, back in 2006 to 2010, were getting hit all the time. They would take back medications from people. And that's, you know, when they started to really enforce that, like you can't bring medications back into a pharmacy once they've left. So, you know, not that you need something else to worry about, but I think that you should, uh, you should probably check to make sure that uh, if there is a lockbox in your pharmacy, that the people that are working there have and follow the procedures to make sure two people are watching so there's not a little pill recycling going on right so so anyway i seal this box and uh you know i've got to prevent it from leaking so there's a special like absorbent pad that goes in it gets bunched up zip locked taped shut a million times and then it gets sent out with ups it gets sent back to the um the reverse distributor company and then they incinerate the box The whole process to me was funny from a pharmacist perspective because I was like super skeptical actually because like why why are we bothering? Is this just virtue signaling to a couple people about saving wastewater? Um, Because the reason being like most medicines that we take, well, I guess a lot of medicines that we take uh, are excreted unchanged. That means that we take them and then we just pee them out uh, almost in the same amounts that we started with. And all of these medications then are getting into the wastewater already. And that is a weird concept, I guess. A lot of people don't think about it from that perspective. And I I was really like, you know, like, why are we doing this? This is silly. And then I saw what I saw, man, I'm telling you, uh, the, the, the volume (laughs) of waste in this country is unreal, right? So 
how much unused stuff and now expired medicines that I'm getting in my little box there uh, every month. It's it's unbelievable. You know, it's a 50-pound box, three foot tall, right? I can fill that up in under 30 days. And we're one of two or three pe- places in our town that has this. Um, you know, I, I actually just uh, literally just cleaned it today. Uh, part of the reason why I'm talking about it. Uh, I was able to fill two boxes because I was two weeks late in emptying it, which is mind blowing for me. Right. When I look at this and I say like, this is a lot of waste. I, I don't understand like what percentage we could say that this waste that I'm dealing with makes up compared to what's actually taken or dispensed for my area. But if you think about how much stuff is out there, right, how much stuff would normally be put into our water supply? Right. So you multiply my experience times all the spots across the country. And and that's just the drop boxes where people actually take the time to like walk into a place and dispose of it properly. How much medicine waste is generated that doesn't go into those channels? Right. How many people's supplements just get thrown into the garbage because they're like, yeah, it's a supplement. It's natural. So it's a real problem that at one point was all hitting our water and soil. We've torched this planet. (laughs) It is really depressing. And like I said, it's a whole other conversation to talk about our waste. But there's one thing that I will say that I'll kind of wrap this point up about, uh, you know, after giving you this insight to the behind the scenes. A supplement strategy isn't only best for you or your wallet. It's best for the world, too. Uh, not just in the companies that you choose to deal with, but if you're using a supplement strategy, hopefully you're taking fewer supplements uh, and then you're taking them consistently. So that you're, means that you're going to have far less waste all around. Um, so I think that it is, it's important to remember that, you know, uh, recycling, reusing uh, are, are great things, but reducing is that number one step to making sure that we're not putting junk into the wastewater. So when we're clearing out our closet, like I said last week, let's make it the last time that we have to throw so much stuff away. Now, here's the thing. If it's physically impossible for you to get to one of these DEC drop boxes or, you know, medical waste disposal programs, you can seal the waste up in like a coffee can or a plastic zip bag after you mix it with something undesirable like, you know, kitty litter or coffee or coffee-flavored kitty litter, but not... Kitty liver flavored coffee, because that would just be gross. <laughs> Allergies, wellness practices, and thoughts and prayers. So last week I did a podcast that talked very, very, very briefly about seasonal allergies. And all I said was that if it's uh, allergy season for you and you're a sufferer and uh, you take things on a regular basis... Now's the time. You want to start before, and you want to take it straight on through. That's all I said. That's not unreasonable. That's not something that needs to be controversial, right? It's nothing big, right? Uh, you know, we got feedback. <laughs> we can say feedback. Uh, uh, there was a few responses to that content, um, especially when we shared outside of our normal audience, our normal listeners. We went to the World Wide Web, especially via social media. Uh, those responses made me raise my eyebrows, but not at the response, of course, I'd say in my, you know, pre-show affirmation that I'm not beating up on individual people and what they believe, but I was kind of like, how the heck did people get to that place? What did they hear and when to make them say the things that they're saying? The the response that I, I saw the most uh, to my true holistic care plan, by the way, for allergies, uh, was 
like there was two com- comments that stuck out to me. So one was, uh, but what about holistic preventatives like a clean diet and working with herbs that build the immune system and help with histamine and like, rather than taking antihistamines or antihistamine supplements, right? And then the other one was, or you could concentrate on improving your diet, which will massively reduce or even remove the allergies you suffer from. This is a much better option than jumping to medical solutions to the symptoms, in my view. You know, on the surface, I guess those sentiments seem reasonable. You know, if you know that I, I went on a national podcast tomorrow, like if I did that, if I went on a national podcast and I said those things in my usual like convincing manner, I'd be flooded with new supporters. I'd have a lot of new fans, man, subscribers, customers, all of that stuff. I know that this person or the people that were saying this stuff is they've never really had allergies. And I know that they get that like Americans don't put enough emphasis on the lifestyle domains. That's what they're really saying is that we need to put emphasis on that stuff. But it reminds me of the whole thoughts and prayers thing that goes on a lot in our country. Uh, It's not really valuable to say thoughts and prayers. It doesn't help solve any problems a famous comedian actually once said it's when people say thoughts and prayers, it's just a way for them to say, don't forget about me during this crisis. Right. So there's four things here that I want to say to tackle this thing, because it seems innocuous, but I want to really kind of dig to the heart of this. And I'm going to disclose why I'm even talking about these two very basic sentiments somewhere in the middle. So the first thing is, is that when somebody says this, especially in that way, it's as if we disagree. We don't disagree. You're saying the right things. You're saying holistic. You're saying prevention. You're saying clean diet. Those things are right and they sound great. And I preach those things first, man. Ask me for sleep support and I'll tell you camping's your best bet. Don't sleep on a bed of nails, right? Those kinds of things. Turn off your screens and devices after eight. If you got allergies, don't go outside. (laughs) Realistically, though, clean your bedroom up. It's gross. Close your windows. Get your air filter going in your house and use anti-allergen mattress and pillow covers, right? That's holistic. That's thinking about all of the different things. So we don't disagree. But where we do disagree is that those concepts are specific to or only believed by the quote-unquote holistic crowd, right? So we, you know, those folks and I may feel a certain way about our healthcare system. And there's something that has to be said because it's it's something that I believe is obvious, but sometimes doesn't hit the masses as much as, as, much, as much as it should these days, which is no conventional medical doctor doesn't want you to do those things, right? Eat well, think about preventative care, holistic approaches, we all very much want that, right? So we disagree that that sentiment of holistic is owned by the anti-medicine crowd. We disagree when a lay person or even one of those quote-unquote experts say holistic, but they mean anti-medicine. We disagree when wellness practices, very important things, are promoted above an exclusive of pharmaceutical options, supplements or medicines. So how do I know that these people that are talking really have never had any responsibility for treating health conditions 
They said clean your diet up and don't use antihistamines, supplement or medicinal, right? So they've never actually had to suffer from this. They've never had to help somebody not suffer from this. You can eat the cleanest diet that you want all day long. You're still going to be freaking miserable. And if I told you to just eat a clean diet instead of giving you something that will help, you're going to get mad at me quick. So we don't disagree where folks who say this stuff think that we do, right? They think that this is a disagreement. They're posting what they believe to be a contrary position to what I'm saying. But we do disagree where they confidently sit in this paradigm. So that brings me to my second point, which is what seems innocent really isn't. And this is the why to like why I'm, I'm talking. So I'm not, I, I promise you, <laughs> I'm not getting worked up about a social media post. <laughs> you have to trust me. I do not care. I don't care to engage in the silliness of reacting to reactions on social media. Uh, I fought for COVID. Uh, it's a va- it's an it's it's not even a vaccine. It's an infection. And I was saying, hey, this is how we should handle an infection. And like I had a fight with people, and that broke me. You know, I'm not a fighter anymore. I'll let y'all have your opinion. But the reason that I'm saying something now is uh, to bring light to this. These comments didn't come from lay people. I was saying lay people a lot, but they were coming from practitioners, from influencers. These folks that were saying this were bloggers and podcast hosts who specialize in wellness. I call out that seemingly innocuous rhetoric because I think it's important, especially when that stuff comes from a place of authority. Even if you're 100% in camp, Dr. Neil. If you're like, I want to get the best from both the health and the wellness industries, I'm understanding what's real and what's not real, right? I know for a fact that even those folks that are 100% in my boat, that if they get exposed to concepts like this on the regular, it can produce a change in mindset, even in those really great intending people. So it's really about the volume or the frequency of the exposure and how digestible that rhetoric is that has the power to change our minds. So if we put this imbalanced concept that these folks are promoting out into the world, it seems okay and harmless at first glance. And it's something that we should probably agree with because we don't eat well and we don't do preventative stuff. And it's not necessarily wrong. Again, it's it's just contributing to a larger growing problem which I believe is this surge of post-truth garbage. And the third point that I'll say is that wellness practices that they're promoting, that I promote, they matter a lot, but hyper-focusing on any of them isn't holistic. And so here's what I'll say to you. We need more people out there in the world promoting wellness practices. And remember, wellness practices are the habits and the healthy choices that we make on a daily basis. We promote wellness practices being first and the most important step in our health and wellness journeys. They're foundational and they're the base of my wellness pyramid, but they're not everything. They can't solve every problem, and they can't prevent every health concern. If your pancreas fails, there's no clean diet that's going to help your type 1 diabetes. And when I say that analogy, most people chuckle and they say, okay, I get it. But like, here's another one. If you have osteopenia, no amount of calcium or weight-bearing exercise is likely to rebuild your bones. That might be jarring to hear because there's so many people that will tell you otherwise. We want that sentiment to be true. We don't want the medicines. We want to take our calcium and we want to do yoga. And I'm not saying that calcium and yoga wellness practices are worthless, quite the opposite. 
This analogy, the calcium and osteoporosis yoga analogy, tells us two things. One, wellness practices are an important portion of true holistic care. And two, it stresses the importance of wellness practices long before the health concerns surface. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. It's not preventative if you don't do them to prevent stuff. We understand that concept when I say it, I'm sure. But if we understand the real definition of holistic, holistic isn't something you pull out at the last minute in an attempt to avoid medications. Holistic is something that you do from day one. Wellness practices are things that you do on a regular basis. Holistic is considering and addressing all of those variables that contribute to our health and wellness. You want to be your healthiest and you want to be holistic. I agree, man. I'm with you. But that means that we have to think about everything and we have to implement those practices and address those health concerns using therapy sometimes, right? Because we're too far along the path. Sometimes we have to use those conventional medicines, right? Supplements aren't strong enough. In fact, most times I would say they're not strong enough. We don't do our wellness practices early or often enough, or the disease that we're treating or preventing can only be resolved, truly resolved, with conventional care. If we deny that reality, it's only because we bought into this false dichotomy, this natural versus pharmaceutical. That dichotomy isn't real. It's not real in practice. When we treat and prevent diseases, that's not real. We need to use all of the things. And it's not real from a business standpoint. What do I mean? Well, you can distrust and loathe the corruption in the medical industry. I do. But it doesn't mean that the supplement industry is automatically any better. They're the same corrupt animal, and they put profits over people. And you hear me say it every episode, we need to flip the health and wellness industry upside down, our understanding of it all and the amount of trust that we put into all of these institutions. In the middle is this great new path, a reasonable one, right, where the best results are there for us. So when you're poking around in the wellness content space and someone says, well, you just have to clean up your diet or promote wellness practices as a superior answer, just think to yourself, I don't need your thoughts and prayers, man. I need all of it. I need true holistic care. Why I don't talk about Lyme's disease anymore. And I know that we're talking about it by, you know, like not talking about it by talking about it, but uh, just flow with me here, right? So let me say the obvious, first and foremost. I've worked a long time to know what I know. And I would love it if people paid me for my expertise. <laughs> I would like it if people bought goods and services from me because of what I know, right? That's a clear concept, right? Everyone out here is trying to make a living, but the ax that I grind is this fight. I want to fight this machine that sells the hype and gives false hopes. That's what I want to do. I want people to have the best information. So I believe that you can promote wellness, supplements, and holistic care while still giving good evidence-based information. Uh, in other words, I don't have to sell out to sell stuff, right? And I say all that because it's springtime and my Patients and my customers and my team, my you know my my people that work for me, they have all encouraged me to speak about Lyme's disease, and I told them I don't do that. We've done it before. We've talked about the importance of aggressive tick checks every time you're outdoors. We've talked about 
using repellents against ticks, and I've given people clarity around doxycycline. When do you use it? When do you not use it? How long do you use it for? We talked about post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome and the length of convalescence after an infection, how much of a pain in the butt Lyme's disease is, man, and how difficult it is to test and treat, right? We've talked about all of that stuff, and I've had a pretty reasonable approach. At least I think I have. I still get a lot of shit, man. (laughs) I call uh, Lyme disease one of my seven deadly deceptions. These are health conditions that are real, that induce tremendous pain and suffering on some people that are going through them. And then the charlatans use their fear to polarize people into a specific mindset so they can sell their stuff. They want to sell their products, services, or just the clicks and attention, right? That's what they're looking for. So you can read an article that I've written called The Seven Deadly Deceptions of Supplement Charlatans. It's over at the drneilsmoller.com website. I'm going to link it in the show notes so you'll be able to see it. So the diseases that I consider the seven deadly deceptions are normally reasonably prevalent. They have challenges with the diagnosis, meaning it's kind of hard to do the testing to see do I have the thing or not. And that normally is coupled with the third point, which is that they have symptoms that are kind of ambiguous, right? The old joke in pharmacy school is we used to say that every drug can cause a headache and the first symptom of every disease is a headache, (laughs) right? It's just, there's some stuff that just, can be anything could cause it. Um, you know, we we understand that there are very specific symptoms to Lyme, of course, Lyme's disease, but uh, there are also a lot of ambiguous symptoms. And when you have those three conditions all aligned, that's when the vulture circle. So I can give people lots of valuable information about Lyme's disease. I can tell them that I want them to feel better at the end of the day. And I just don't want them to be misled by a hype machine. I can remind them, just like I have in the other segments here, that holistic isn't anti-medicine, and medicines can and are helpful in Lyme's disease treatment. I can tell them that there are great supplements that they can use to help with fatigue or energy levels or achiness and joint pain, right? And I can guide them about inflammation and about how antibiotics, though not anti-inflammatory in their purpose, can have anti-inflammatory properties and they can make you feel better. But that doesn't mean that they're justified for long courses, despite the fact that you do feel better taking them. Or I can tell them that that unique herbal health combo recommended by the unlicensed practitioner that they read about online can definitely make them feel better, but it's not because of some magic line busting effects, but because herbs have natural anti-inflammatory properties as well, and taking 10 of anything makes those uh, effects synergized and makes people feel better. And on and on and on. And I can say all of that stuff. But what I want you to know is that anytime I've asked an honest, reasonable, infectious disease expert to come on and talk about this, they flatly refuse. (laughs) They won't even let me cite their name or like use the information that they've given me uh, and taught me and like how this all actually works uh, because they're afraid of backlash from a very uh, sensitive and active community. So when it comes to Lyme's disease, what I want people to know more than anything is that I'm with you. Like it stinks, you know, to put it mildly in many, you know, many cases, it, it, it's, it's bad. <laughs> There's so much seemingly conflicting information out there. I get it. I hear you. You just want to feel better. But then the second thing that I have to tell you that goes in line with those other things that we've talked about here today is that the vultures are circling, right? In our despair, 
in our pursuit of feeling better, we can easily be led astray. And I've advised way more people than I would have hoped to away from harmful regimens and anti-medicine mindsets than I care to count. And those were just the people that listened. So what I want from you is to know why I don't have full episodes about all the different things with Lyme disease, even though I think what we're saying is true and reasonable. I just want you to be aware and beware. So that does it for this week's podcast episode. Take a few moments, give us a five-star review, and share the podcast to your social feeds. Visit wellnessupsidedown.com for all things podcasts. And remember, being our healthiest starts with being honest about ourselves and the health and wellness industry, then blazing a new path, marching forward one step at a time. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, and I've got your back. Thanks for joining me.